to another episode of Go Be Wild. This is part two of our series with the Sheridan County Chamber of Commerce and Manufacturing Works in recognition of National Manufacturing Day. Today, uh, we've got three in studio. I'm going to go from my left. We've got Casey Osborne, the CEO of EMIT Technologies, and we've got uh, Clay... um, Price of VacuTech. He is the director of operations. And then to his left, we have Dustin of LNH, the director of business development. Correct? That's right. Awesome. And then on Zoom today, we've got Tim Barnes of Blacktooth Brewery and uh, Brandon Titus, the general manager of Coltisco Distillery. So thank you guys all for taking time out of your day uh, to either come to the studio or jump on a Zoom call. Morning. Um, so the topic we have today for you five is got grit, current challenges in manufacturing. Um, I think there's no secret to kind of one major event that we're going to be talking about that has probably caused uh, some issues um, in manufacturing. But um, and it's most importantly, I think supply chains, and I think we'll have you guys all talk about that. But, um, you know, what supply chains issues have you guys had that maybe people wouldn't think about? Um, and then how did you guys have to be creative about responding to those? And let's go to kind of just start, we'll start with Casey and we'll go left in the studio. Then we'll go to Brandon and Tim, uh, on the zoom call. Uh, well, no supply side steel is a problem. You know, in our, in our world, we predominantly consume steel. Uh, at the same time we have an electronics control side of the business, but I think the, the, the big thing is, you know, the last, March, April, there was all the discussion about supply issues, how it was going to be a, a huge problem. And then it wasn't a problem for like a year. And I think we all kind of forgot about it and didn't really plan that it was going to be an issue and weren't putting the steps in place to 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 be prepared. And so then once really, I think in our world is about first of January, you know, pricing started escalating, mills capacity was not there to, to reach demand. And so pricing challenges, availability challenges, uh, controls, and, and even more, it it's impacting our customers. And so their ability to plan and their ability to get their projects rolling, it then fits with us. It's just a uh, every day, like, literally every single day there's a supply challenge you know and it's on our end or the customer's end and everyone's trying to coordinate together and so i mean it's it it makes an already stressful environment significantly more stressful things you never thought about you have to think about multiple times every single day yeah i i would just add to that um we've certainly seen some challenges on the uh i think that have been caused by the chip shortage i think everybody's familiar with that because the vehicles well that certainly has moved over and impacted us on the control side. Um, lead times actually up by a factor, uh, order of magnitude, just literally overnight. Um, and, you know, we're in a lot of cases needing to go directly to the mill for materials as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, through some sort of a supplier. And I think this is the first time in my life where I've seen multiple shelves empty at Walmart and, past life I used to supply to them and you were dead if you didn't do that. But across the board, it's, it's not a, it's not isolated incident for sure. Sure. Yeah. So we, we've got the same issue with, uh, raw materials. Um, 
Uh, what has helped us out is we've got a very small group of, of suppliers. We have a good relationship with them. Um, those suppliers, some of them, same, same thing is, is especially like Temp and Steel. Uh, they have shut their mill down. They're not taking any orders through 2022. So that forces us to go out and try to find new mills uh, to, to work with. So that's been a huge challenge, just trying to get materials, raw materials in. And then the other thing is on the supply chain side is with our international stuff, the way shipping is right now, you can't, you can't set a hard and fast date when we're going to deliver product. So now we have this, you know, when we hand out a quote, we've got a huge disclaimer of here's the things we're not going to be liable for because, <laughs> because the supply chain is so bad. So, control so much. Yeah. Brandon, Tim. Yeah, I'm finding the same thing with raw materials, uh, caps, labels, boxes, our bottles. Uh, you know, lead times on those were, you know, two to three months. And now we're seeing six to eight months if we're lucky. Uh, so it's putting us rather thin. Obviously, uh, we're running out uh, before we'd like to. Uh, we're waiting longer than we should. Uh, and it's causing us to mass order uh, and really kind of have inventory issues here of uh, just space because we have to order such quantities when they are available. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, you know, an issue all around. Uh, you know, they're having label sh uh, labor shortages on their ends, which is causing, you know, backup like that so yeah it's been it's been stressful and uh definitely you know working around all all the issues with our suppliers as well yep, same for me uh it's obviously been a, a tricky time to try and find aluminum cans you know you can't can't find a container to to place beer and it's difficult to, to package so um there's been significant supply chain challenges uh most of it's not necessarily driven by raw material shortages there's there seems to be enough aluminum it's it's uh, manufacturing of, of containers, the actual stretching of that aluminum and, and, and building it into a can. There's, there's numerous facilities uh, across the country, but, but our scale or lack of scale in this case is it makes it difficult to try and, and source materials in the aluminum can market. And relative to what Brandon said, you know, the, one of those solutions is stocking more inventory than you used to stock. You know, add that to an already challenging environment. It creates unique cash flow scenarios that you haven't had before, uh, just because you're you're trying to put more stuff on the ground at one time and you can't flow that material through, and it it, it definitely complicates everything. Absolutely. And I think too, this leads uh, Tim and everything you guys have talked about led right into why we're having local manufacturers come in is there's a menu, there's the making it issue. It's not that the raw materials isn't there. It's that we can't scale and, and produce product. Um, and you guys were talking about this right before we started. Parts of that for manufacturers is also finding employees and finding people with, with the skill and the technical knowledge to do whatever, whatever you're doing. Um, but even before COVID, even before, you know, the end of uh, 2019, uh, was there a shortage of finding manufacturer employees or people with the technical skills, I should, I should say? Do I have to start every time? <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> whoever, whoever has, if it, you have something to say. <laughs> uh, I, I guess for us, I mean, it seems like the trades in general, so machinists, welders, uh, mechanics, uh, there's getting less and less people being involved with that. I know that, you know, the machine tool center here in Sheridan has had a difficult time finding and retaining uh, 
instructors to start with. And then plus just getting people, kids in to learn a trade is, is difficult because we're so used to sitting on computers, which in, in real life, a CNC machine is a big old computer, right? But the thought of having to stand and stare at a Stare at a computer screen is, I guess, different than sitting and staring at a computer screen. I don't know. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think we've been somewhat effective in, in getting some folks in, but um, I, I'm concerned about kind of path forward with, with some of the projections that we have. Um, it certainly is a challenge. It's certainly a challenge to find the, the skill sets you need. And, uh, you know, you have to have to do some stuff that we didn't have to in the past to, 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 get those folks in and, and to retain them. Uh, you know, I think getting somebody to come here from a distance is a real challenge. I mean, we're going to touch on that a little bit more, but that's, that's been one of the things that's limited our ability to bring folks in as well. You know, interestingly enough, we had more people from the East coast machinist in particular come out West during COVID than we've never, we hired a guy from Virginia and that's never yeah. first, furthest we've ever been over was I think Michigan. So, wow. And I, I mean, I would answer the question that I feel like that's a perpetual business challenge. You know, uh, maybe it's been magnified through COVID, but uh, I, don't, I don't feel like it's necessarily unique at this point in time. There's always challenges with finding good talent, bringing them in, getting it, getting them integrated into your system. Uh, but but I don't I don't really feel like there's anything special that's been a unique challenge related to COVID. Of staffing, sure. there's like. There's many other issues that are challenges that are not COVID related. And we'll get into those. <laughs> Brandon, Tim, uh, you know, finding, finding employees. Fortunately for us, uh, as a true small business here, we run on a fairly small crew and we've had uh, real fortune with some long-term employees. So we haven't had issues uh, with hiring and firing or anything like that. So it hasn't really affected us. Yeah, we haven't had any issues from the from the manufacturing element. There's there's certainly been longstanding employees that have been at Black Tooth uh, from our brewery production perspective, but we have faced some challenges in the hospitality end of it. The the uh, front facing uh, staff with serving has always been a challenge, and well, I would agree with Casey. Certainly, that's a perpetual challenge. It's not 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 necessarily driven specifically by COVID. Awesome, and and this this leads us right into the next question, you know. Um, for you guys, you guys probably have other problems you guys have had to had to, had to face the last two years. What were those? And then what was your guys' business's response to that? Um, and how did it, you know, change your business or business model? You know, in case you can already hit on, you know, the, the supply chain and inventory and all that stuff. But maybe some other things people might not know affects uh, your guys' businesses um, that you guys had to respond and change and adapt. So I would say, I mean, if we're specifically speaking about COVID, which I think we are, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we certainly took a conservative route at that point in time and, and pulled way back and then built from there because, and I think that was generally the responsible thing to do, um, uh, you know, cause some problems for some, some of the employees and, and challenges. Um, but, but we worked through that. However, since then, uh, dealing with specific pop-up incidents and exposure and how to respond to those. I mean, when you've got commitments and you're, you're running very, uh, you know, s single piece flow kind of projects through your system and, and you instantly have a crew that has to be out. It's, that's a pretty difficult thing to, to respond to. And we already touched on, 
you know, the personnel and the skills needed for some of those specific roles. I mean, you can't, can't necessarily, don't necessarily want to take welders, make them powder coaters, um, assembling turbines or whatever it might actually be. So that's been one of the biggest hurdles for us is those unplanned disruptions that we wouldn't have, we don't have a great way to re, to respond to. Sure. I don't have anything too special, but to the, to that point, um, you know, I think a lot of continuity comes from having a clear line of sight into the future. And <clears throat> I mean, that's the big, that's the biggest challenge right now is, you know, all of the variables that are, you know, I mean, in, in every day, there's a lot of variables outside of your control. Um, but there starts to be some predictability to those trends. And when, when you lose an entire crew, uh, <laughs> with, with no heads up, for 10 days, uh, it, it puts a massive wrinkle in your system. Uh, and, and so, you know, just, just perpetually dealing with those challenges. I mean, I think everyone's been very resilient through the process, but, um, it doesn't make it easy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is, uh, so with the production people are, are, mindset at LNH is always those guys have to show up in the facility to do their job to where overhead they can do do their work from home so there was I mean not, although we were getting teams going before COVID hit it just we sent everybody home and then you have to sit there and watch and say well who's productive at home and who's not and then you have groups that hate working from home uh, and people that love it so you got to juggle all of those things. Mm -hmm. And, and it seems like, you know, the work from home thing has worked very well for us. I know that there's some industries that are actually pulling people back into the offices because they think productivity went down, but that's always been a challenge. So. Sure. You know, the biggest thing for us specifically was the pivot when they shut all of the bars and restaurants across the country down was the pivot to a hundred percent packaged beer and nothing in, in kegs for, for draft beer. And then immediately everybody came back open and they were wondering why in the heck they didn't have draft beer anywhere. So it was a, it was a challenge to make that pivot and then maintain the, the level of production necessary to, to keep up with demand for a, a very short period of time. Very similar for us, obviously losing, you know, two thirds of your customers with bars and restaurants and just simply going to, uh, you know, home drinkers and things like that. Uh, marketing challenge, just trying to focus all efforts into that. Uh, trying cocktail recipe things like that so people can enjoy uh, if you remember back you know March April of 2020 when grocery shelves were fairly empty uh, people didn't have access to everything that they were used to so uh, we put out a series of videos trying to create simple recipes people could find uh, with maybe things they still had at their home or things they could still find in the grocery store so yeah definitely a, a, a huge change there for, for our marketing yeah that's great you know I love hearing kind of the everyone's adaptation, you know, to be resilient, to, to, you know, just get through it. Um, is there anything else you guys uh, did to, um, or looking back, you're like, you know, it, it was rough making that change, but you know, in the next couple of years, you guys are looking back and saying, you know, that was probably a good thing to, to make, you know, um, in regards to people working at home or working in the office, you know, was that something you guys were, kind of in the back of your mind, like, you know, at some point this was going to happen or was it kind of a complete shock of this actually works out pretty well for some people at home? 
Yeah, I think for us, it was it was kind of a shock that it worked as well as it did. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's really nice about it is we're running out of office space. And if we don't have to take our resources and fund a, a new office complex, I mean, that that's great. Now there's some HR challenges that come in with working from home. You know, if they roll back and, you know, roll their ankle in their quote unquote home office, who's liable you know, you, you got all those challenges, but in general, it's, 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 it's really nice to allow your people. I think they're more productive at home or is what we've seen. Um, you know, when I fi- made that transition to home personally, it was a lot of catch up because you don't have as many people swinging into the office and for the chit chat. So it was amazing what, what a guy can get done when you're isolated now. I think that isolation, the, the bad thing about isolation is, is you don't have the camaraderie, you know, that office camaraderie, you, you lose out on that. So you have to work as a leader to keep that generated and keep it going. Yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, it worked surprisingly well for us. We, we were doing things that we didn't think we could do at a distance, at a distance. Um, I would still argue that uh, if you're not sitting in the same room with somebody, even if you're looking at them on Google Meets or whatever it might be, uh, there's something lost there. So we've we've still tried to move back in that particular direction. But our ability to function, given some of those limitations, um, I was really impressed with the way that the folks responded and and uh, the tools work pretty good. So happy to be where we're at. Well, and I think a, a couple things that are takeaways is like to to what Tim was saying, like. Sometimes you just got to make a decision that's helpful for two months. Like you just, hey, no kegs for a while. We're going to go cans. We're just going to make this work. And then you can go back. But it's like, you know, the ability to adapt to a certain situation, make the most of it, not think that everything is a permanent solution or, you know, we have to overthink it. Like, no, this is good for today. Let's take that. Let's go down that course. And then, you know, more data points come in. We got to shift again. We'll make quick decisions. So quick decisions and the ability to not just overthink everything. Uh, I think there's plenty of good examples that there's lots of benefit from decisiveness. Uh, from a staffing side and a work from home, I mean, it, at EMIT, no one wanted to work from home. Like, I mean, it was like, when we were like, okay, go work from home. Like, no one, like everyone showed up the next day. <laughs> like, yeah. No, no one wanted to leave. And so then, uh, but, but what, but I mean, some people did in very, you know, certain circumstances dependent, but I think it's changed our staffing approach to maybe some administrative admin type employees, engineers, whatever. Like if a guy in Arkansas wants a job and doesn't want to move to Wyoming, like hire him in Arkansas and let him work in Arkansas. Like, you know, that, that acceptance that you don't really have to be in the same space. Yeah. There's challenges to it. And, you know, face-to-face I'd, I'd always say is better. Um, but, but where there's talent and where there's people you know looking for opportunities and you, you know, form those relationships, the acceptance of like, no, just work from home. Don't move here. Don't add that cost and get started right away. I think that's been very helpful to us. That leads us in right into our kind of next question. We kind of already hit on it too a little bit. Um, uh, would you say that's a solution to kind of um, one hiring, you know, finding the right people to join your team? Is that a solution to where, well, we don't have to move them here, you know, cause that's a, you know, housing here is an issue. Um, you know, so um, 
you know, what other issues do you guys have in recruiting and getting new employees? You know, there's, there's that option, you know, remote, yeah. uh, but what are some other uh, solutions that you guys have all looked at? Well, given the fact that we're all manufacturing. We to make beer in their garage, but it's really difficult to sell the beer that you make in your garage. So we've really had to have everybody on site. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. Like, given the fact that we're all manufacturing companies, the vast majority of our workforce, you got to be present. Um, so I don't think it, it doesn't hit like, I mean, shoot, no one pays for anything we do in the office. They only pay for what we do on the floor. Uh, and so, you know, in that, in that sense, to move the business forward, we have to have that production personnel in Sheridan and that does not solve the housing problem we have. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No. And I think we touched on something earlier that has caused the housing problem. We talked about the influx of people coming from the cities here and, and so I'd say from that perspective, it's made it worse. So while it, it, has, it has helped us, maybe some of the professional level folks, we can work at a distance. Well, the same thing is happening. A lot of people want to move to Sheridan or surrounding areas that are, that are, that are working remotely other places. And I think that's driven some of those costs up, which has made it a challenge to, to, to we're competing for these folks that actually have to be at, on the floor building the product every day. Dustin, anything to add there? I think they said it best. Yeah. So I have nothing to add. (laughs) No, that's great. Um, I do want to kind of switch in gears here because I want to leave this last question for the end because I feel like all your guys are going to have a a great answer here. But um, we kind of touched on kind of foreign and domestic competition in regards to supply chains and then, um, you know, everyone globally is trying to find products. Um, you know, uh, what does that look like? Um, y- you know, and I am curious, I'll probably, I'll give it to the, the brewers and distillers first. Cause that, um, you know, there's a lot of competition locally and regionally for, you know, the microbreweries, um, you know, you know, what did that competition look like, um, in regards to just your guys' manufacturing and, and supply chains, Grant and Tim. Yeah, I guess nothing too much has changed here in Wyoming. There's a few more distilleries now than there was before. Uh, we all kind of see ourselves, though, as on the same team uh, competing against, you know, the Jack Daniels and the absolutes of the world and things like that. So, uh, you know, obviously there's, there's, you know, some competition between us, but uh, we don't really view it that way so much. We kind of see ourselves as on the same team. Uh, the real big challenge is, uh, you know, is, is getting products out to, you know, unique markets and things like that. So we get a lot of tourists that come into the state, uh, try our products, take bottles back home to their friends. And then I get emails, phone calls, Facebook requests and things like that, trying to get our product to their home state where we're not currently available. So uh, our biggest challenges right now is trying to get into all of these markets. Uh, liquor is, uh, is tough. You can't just, we can't just ship it through the mail to people. Uh, it's illegal. So, uh, it's finding other routes. It's finding online suppliers and things like that to carry your product. But, uh, you know, every craft distiller is trying to do the exact same thing. So these suppliers can only house so much product so much unique product before, you know, they're saying no uh, to people. So uh, it's trying to, you know, reach these new markets uh, in an affordable way for us uh, as it costs money to do business each state. There's, you know, permits, license fees uh, to do business each state each year. And then of course, uh, trying to find distributors within those states that will handle your product responsibly and, uh, you know, try to do its best to move it off the shelf. So uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of challenges, uh, uh, you know, 
just domestic here. You know, foreign, uh, we've started looking. We have uh, uh, suppliers in Canada currently and Germany that have been put on hold. Uh, we had a meeting set up for 2020 in Germany uh, with a couple that was interested in bringing our product in there. But of course, that's all been put on hold uh, for the time being. So uh, that's where we stand currently is uh, just trying to reach new markets uh, as affordably as possible. And you have Yeah, I don't have much to add to that. <laughs> there's ways to get them in other states but <laughs> there's um nothing, nothing to add there tim right no i don't i think brandon touched on it very very well it's it, the challenges have been similar for the craft beer distributor the, the craft beer business as it has been in spirits uh, the uh, ability to get your product into into the, the willing consumer's hands is uh, is always a challenge so we'll, I'll post that same question to you guys here in the studio because a little different businesses. Um, but, um, you know, Dustin, you kind of were touching on it a little bit. You know, one thing is just the the ship, you know, the time tape, you know, timeline, you know, like, I don't know when it's going to get there. You know, that's yeah, just kind of how everything is right now. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is with with any business, it doesn't matter. Technology is changing um, access to intellectual property. Um, they've got scanners now to where on large mechanical parts, you can go and scan a whole part and you've got that IP that fast. And then the world's smaller. So everybody knows who's playing in the, in the game. And while it's rarely a shock, if you find out somebody else is pouring a product or manufacturing a product, it just seems like the world's getting smaller and everybody's competing. Um, it's frustrating uh, just because it used to be you had an engineering team, they would go out and RE uh, a complete, you know, uh, assembly and you could produce that and compete against just the OEM. Well, now it's so darn easy to, to get prints that it's just, it's not a competitive advantage anywhere. So there, therefore there's more people competing. Gotcha. Well, to, to us, I think the foreign market side of it is relative to the shipping challenge and many other things, but like there's no foreign steel available in the U S market. And so the U.S. mills have taken full advantage of that. Sure. And so there's there's really no competing uh, from a, a U.S. mill standpoint. And so, like, truly, we paid ballpark thirty cents a pound for steel, and right now we pay a dollar twenty a pound for steel. Wow. Like, and most of what we build is out of steel. And so that that you know, there's no availability. You pay four times as much for a pound of material as you used to. You know, you, the, until until there is more supply in the market, the U.S. market, I mean, will continue to pay exorbitant rates. Right, right. And you can't get you can't get steel in like off the water, but it's starting to show up. So there's <laughs> there's some 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 hope in sight. Yeah, I don't know if I have a whole lot to add. Uh, I, I it's maybe like we touched on. I, I think the only thing is making sure that we do everything we can to keep our customers from being surprised. Yes. And so we've put specific protocols in place. The instant we find things out, we give the bad news. Yep. And we've you know, assigned belly buttons to that to make sure that that happens. And still some folks get surprised, but uh, that's, that's one of the mitigating things that we've tried to do. Sure. Well, the other thing that I think that manufacturers have to keep in mind is, is <laughs> our companies aren't the only ones doing it to your end customer, right? Yep. I mean, we are getting... Our vendors are late to us. We're late to our customers. It's just, it's everybody's in it together. Right. Yep. And so 
You no, know, the, I, the competitive I, advantage is transparency right now. Yeah, like if that's you, exactly if right. If you're quiet and like everyone's surprised, then you have a problem. Yeah. If you're if you're communicating, you're keeping everyone in the loop, which takes time, effort. You know, people got to yep. do it, and you got to somewhat have some clarity as to what what is going to happen in the future. And that's hard to know what that clarity is right now. But to yeah. the best of your ability, it's constant communication. Yep. That was wonderful, though. That was great. And I think this this last question leads right into what we're just talking about. Um, if you guys feel comfortable sharing or if something comes to mind, tell us the time where the business or you in particular, maybe in your guys' positions, um, that you guys had to go to extreme lengths to solve a problem, whether that be for a, a customer, you know, a client, um, or maybe for the team, you know, for the business. Um you know, so what extreme lengths you guys went to to solve that problem? Um, we'll we'll uh, pitch this first to the guys on Zoom, uh, Brandon or Tim. There, sure. So, uh, starting at the end of March 2020, uh, we started process file paperwork with the FDA to register facility uh, for manufacturing hand sanitizer. Uh, we did so successfully and almost changed our distillery completely into a hand sanitizer manufacturer. Uh, we ended up donating uh, to six different counties here in Wyoming for hospital, EMS, fire, and police, over 2,000 gallons of hand sanitizer. Uh, also, a waiting list uh, for locals here in town to buy, uh, producing as quick as we could produce it. So, yeah, it was definitely a challenge uh, going to something that we've never done before, learning about the entire process, sourcing the raw materials, and then obviously executing successfully uh, to get people a uh, product that was desperately needed at that time. Uh, it was a huge challenge. Uh, we were working the longest hours when lots of people were staying home. Uh, we were staying late. Uh, it was definitely an interesting challenge. And for about three months there, uh, yeah, it was running. Awesome. Tim? I think you lost him. I yeah. lost him. But there is an update available. <laughs> One of you guys want to take take that real quick as we go through this technical difficulty? Uh Ah, uh, I guess that one of the big the biggest challenges I remember um we had we had a customer that ordered up the large components. We had a foundry that we'd been working with for 17 years. It was a family business in, in South America and that ownership had changed guard. So we, we went through and uh, had 100% confidence in the foundry. They poured the product. We get it on the water, shipping it up, and we just wanted to do a double check, some first article inspections and stuff, and the product was not good. Not good. So before it hit the customer site, we went up there, flew up there and, you know, recording in progress, fell, fell on our swords. And, uh, you know what, they, they put that product on, they ran it until we could get a brand new, uh, product and it all went just as good as you could, you could ask for. We retained the customer. Didn't look so good on our books, but it, it is what it is. So I think the, the biggest thing is, is uh, what my uncle uh, has always taught me is, is you just go fess up and fall on your sword. And usually it works out a lot better than trying to hide it or make it the customer's problem. So, Yeah, I, I mean, um, I have a very similar example that I was going to use. Um, I try not to fall on the sword too many times, but... 
um, especially with the same customer. But the, the example I was thinking of, we had a customer that's having a problem. And, and I think as a custom manufacturer, you, you tend to uh, put some of your innovations and new designs out there as part of a sale. And it's, it's something you can't completely get away from. You try to. So we had a, a new customer. We put a brand new product line out. It was a wet, dry separating process on a conveyor line with cars moving through. And, and this, this particular customer, um, I don't even think they understood their application. They didn't understand exactly what they were getting into, but they opened up. You know, dry run was fine. They opened up and, and began to see some challenges. So, um, it, yeah, we, we went through a couple iterations and it was obvious that, uh, that wasn't going to solve the problem. So, uh, and this is, this is a credit to the Tuckers and kind of how they've ran that business, but we jumped on a plane flew there the next morning and, um, the, uh, the president of the organization was standing there at the base of my ladder while I was working on the controls and, um, and over the course of two days, completely rebuilt their system and had it up and going by the end of that two days. And, uh, you know, since then, I think we've had uh, five or five, well, probably more than that, probably closer to 10 new systems from this, from this customer. And, and that particular, the, the books didn't look real great on that particular one. That wasn't a cheap flight, but, um, I think it's paid, paid itself over many, many times. And that's just making sure that, that you take care of that customer and, and own up to what happened and, and then solve the problem. Um, this particular case that worked out very well and, and they're, they're a great customer for us today. So I don't, I don't have anything too insightful. Um, you know, I mean, I think whatever, if the topic of this was grit, uh, I mean, the last 18 months have required a lot of it and you, you know, the, the, the challenges that we have, uh, there's a lot of things that come from those challenges that don't necessarily look as good on the books. Um, but, but the perseverance that's required, I mean, I think it'd be really, really easy as a manufacturer right now in this environment to just lay down, like to just, to just have every excuse possible for why you can't do it or you can't try or why you shouldn't do those things. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I guess, you know, when you, when you have a business that builds things, I think you become pretty innovative. Uh, mm -hmm. You, 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 in one way or another, have to figure it out. Um, and the last eighteen months, twenty months, whatever it's been, you know, it's it's forced us to have to live that ethos. So I, I don't feel like it's too different. I, we always have to solve problems. You know, uh, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just it just comes with the territory. When you have to build something, you got to build it every single time. You know, we're not. We're not software companies. We don't we don't release something and it and it carries. You know, we 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 have to do it every single time. I love that. And you know, I apologize we lost Brandon and Tim there, but uh, what you guys said was great. You know, th that it doesn't look doesn't always look good on the books, but that's kind of the industry you guys are in, and that's uh, you know. Uh, the types of businesses and people you guys are looking for, you know, and that's, that's just how it is. And uh, some takeaways I took from this, this topic today was resilience, you know, and, and, and adapt, you know, you got to change and adapt um, and make those split second decisions and, and just go for it and take action. So um, I don't know, Brandon, can you hear us? I got, we got Brandon back. 
Yes. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you guys all for coming in today. Is there anything I forgot that you guys wanted to hit on or anything like that? This is shameless plug time for your business or for your companies. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. I mean, I think, you know, what we didn't really talk about, but we, we do have a housing problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we can solve it. Um, but it's, you know, same thing. It's going to take some resiliency. It's going to take some vision. It's going to take some risk. Uh, but, but it is a problem. Like it is a massive problem. Absolutely. So, uh, if anyone on the chamber is, uh, listening to this podcast, you know, we can put our our heads together. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, it's going to take some action, not just some talking too. Yes. Love that. Agreed. I don't have, I don't, I don't, I'm not up here. So I don't know. I mean, I always hear about the other thing I hear and I don't know if this is true or not, but, uh, Jackson is, well, Sheridan is, is right behind Jackson as far as low wage, high cost of living. And I'm not sure if that's true or not, but you know, that's, that makes that it, way. yeah, yeah, it makes it very difficult if you got, you know, low wage, high cost of living. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but. But I'm, I'm not the sort of guy that's like, hey, we just need to keep some outsiders in or out. You know, like <laughs> bring, bring them in. Like we can we can figure it out. Yep. Like yep. Uh, Sheridan, there's, I mean, there's challenges that as a community we have to overcome. Um, and I think we can co- overcome them. You know, if we get hunkered down, we all just collectively make excuses. There's no growth in that. Yep. Well, as this topic was grit, you know, and how you guys adapted to those problems, you know, we've got a problem. Let's bring our, like you said, let's come together and let's solve the problem. But um, I will say Tim texted me and this will end us out pretty good. His biggest challenge has been uh, keeping up with wacky technology glitches. Um, So (laughs) not sure what happened on the Zoom call there, but um, uh, we appreciate you. Appreciate you guys coming into studio. Casey from Emit, Clay from Vacutech, Dustin from LNH, and then Brandon's still on finishing out on the Zoom call. And then we left uh, left him out there in the ether somewhere. But um, this was uh, a great topic. I appreciate you guys coming in. And um, we'll catch everyone on the part three in a little bit later. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> Thank you.